Welcome to another edition of our Pitchside Experts podcast, where in this continuingly challenging time for everyone, you can find some temporary respite through our discussions and dissecting of varying areas of the global game of cricket. And of course, I'm joined by my two colleagues once again. We will go with the baby of the podcast, Freddie Wild, situated in the UK, where COVID-19 measures Freddie are what? Well, yeah, we're still in lockdown here. Thank you for that very kind introduction. Uh, We're still in lockdown here, um, and it looks like we will be for a little bit longer still. Um, But there are some positive signs beginning to come through in terms of sort of figures and stuff. So, you know, the government and and people here are beginning to talk about when we might lift the lockdown. So there's some light at the end of the tunnel. But, um, yeah, it's very much still um, as we were and as we've been for the last sort of month or so now. Um, But hopefully... Hopefully, uh, things are beginning to change. Yeah, here in Trinidad, we've extended it by two weeks. And my other colleague, the senior, the elder statesman of this podcast, Tom Moody, uh, located in WA, where lockdown measures are being eased. Two-time World Cup winner, 1987 and 99, of course, take, take, took Sri Lanka to the final of the 2007 Cricket World Cup. Won the IPL with Sunrisers Hyderabad and a man who's had a busy week, Tom. Yeah, I certainly have, Bish, and uh, hello to both of you and hello to all our listeners. Yeah, look, certainly from a COVID-19, Perth and Australia, for that matter, have been pretty fortunate and uh, things are just, you know, the uh, restrictions are just starting to be relaxed a little bit. So we're just sort of tiptoeing our way out of our households and and sort of uh, numbers are starting to increase in the streets and down the beaches and so on. But speaking of guests, yes, absolutely. I had the privilege to catch up with a a good mate of mine. And I say that because I had the privilege of coaching um, this guy, Dale Stain, at Sunrises Hyderabad for the first few years before he moved on. But uh, yes, I caught up with Dale to talk about pace bowling in test cricket. Well, Dale, thanks for uh, giving up your time for us at the moment. Firstly, I suppose, how are you and uh, how's things at uh, at home in South Africa? Yeah, thanks, Moods. Um, yeah, we've been in lockdown now for, we're going into our fifth week. Um, our president addressed us last night and just told us that there's going to be a couple different levels in which we're going to manage coming out of this lockdown process. So it's not like hmm. normal life will resume anytime soon which is a bit of a worry because normal life for me is getting on a plane and traveling and going to play cricket and our borders are closed and there's no sport um and we don't know how long those levels are going to come down so um the last couple of weeks although they've been in lockdown they've actually been pretty pretty good to spend some time at home just some of the things that you you know i always kind of wanted to do when i was playing cricket i was like oh i'd love to just be locked at home for like four weeks under the conditions not great but mm. you know um staying strong staying healthy uh, and just like pretty unaware of what's going to happen in the future but otherwise not too bad brilliant well i've given you sort of a little bit of a, a background on um pitch side experts the podcast that myself bish and freddie are, are starting to put together and uh, this week we're going to talk about test fast bowling and and given 
you are uh, certainly the, the best of your generation, if not uh, up there with the greatest of all time. And I can see you're blushing, but that's fine. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a fact in my view. Um, I'd be just intrigued to get a little bit of insight from you. You know, firstly, where did it all start, the bowling fast thing? Wow. Um, uh, you know, when I was young, I think everything that I wanted to do needed to be, like, fast. Like, if you speak to my father or my mother, they'll tell you, like, their memories of me as a kid was just, like, watching Olympics and then creating, like, an Olympic court around the house, you know? So I'd, like, be sprinting around the house and timing myself. And then slowly but surely I was introduced to something like cricket where John T. Rhodes was probably the big go-to guy and everything he did was like really fast paced, you know, from his fielding and his diving to his throwing and his batting. He was like this, this guy that just didn't stop moving. So like pace was a natural thing for me. And once I put the ball into my hand, it was like, it was the automatic like default mode was just to try and get the ball from one end to the other and as quickly as I possibly could. And that was before the time that I realized that there was guys like Alan Donald and all these other great fast bowlers out there. It was just like a default setting inside of my body. Um, and then once I started playing club cricket, the strange thing was that I didn't realize it because I'd really never been introduced to men's cricket before. But from about the age of 14, when I started playing men's club cricket, I started to realize that I was bowling a lot faster than than men that were twice my age, you know, <laughs> playing club cricket. And you, you gain this sense of like um, power, you know, uh, as a young, young, young boy um, that I've never, I'd never felt before. Um, you know, for the first time I could really hurt somebody who was my, my senior. Yeah. Um, and that was just through playing cricket. So when I started playing school cricket, well, when I went back to playing school cricket, it was just like there was a domination level above, you know, and you enjoy that kind of power and you just kind of run with it. And that's, I think that's how my fast bowling kind of developed, but um, always also had good coaches that sought in me and like pushed me in the right direction. I think they loved the fact that they had a fast bowler who didn't know what he was doing and they were able to say, okay, do this, do that, bounce this guy, hit this guy. And, and just use me as a weapon. And I was just like happy to do it um, you until I got to the highest level. You mentioned coaches. Any, any huge influence in those younger days? You know, there, was, there was tons. You know, my club captain to start off with um, was, was always had this idea where he said, you couldn't teach somebody how to, you couldn't coach pace. Um, he could coach me how to like direct it and, and channel it. But um, he just wanted me to run in and bowl as fast as I could. So I bowled 15, 20 wides in a game, but I'd probably also pick up seven or eight wickets when I just bowled the ball dead straight, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was probably the first, the best, first bit of advice that I'd ever gotten. Sorry. Once I started playing Sorry. domestic cricket, I, I was introduced to guys like Richard Pybus and Dave Nosworthy, um, Chris Van Nordwijk. You know, all of these guys started to really guide me and, and narrow that down to become a more refined kind of cricketer. And then under the captaincy of guys like uh, Daryl Cullinan and Justin Kemp and Gerald Joss, and then into South Africa, Graham Smith, it just got much better. It's interesting you, you say that at that younger age, those coaches weren't too focused on the number of wides you bowled, but they were just happy that you were bowling fast and they were slowly trying to reduce those wides without making it a, a, a you know a forefront issue 
Yeah, they, I think they just didn't want me to lose the, the biggest asset that I had was pace. Um, you know, this, I think they'd seen it many times before. We had taken somebody that, was, that, was, that really had an incredible talent to bowl fast or something like that and then try to turn them into somebody that could just land the ball consistently in the right place. Yeah. Um, and then all that pace disappeared. So yeah. they, they just let me run with it. You know, throughout high school, I was pretty, pretty wild. It was only once I'd met guys like Sean Pollock, um, Alfonso Thomas at the domestic level became a big influence for me because I started to realize, wow, there's more to fast bowling than just running and bowling fast. There was a mm -hmm. skill factor too. Getting close to the stumps, coming wider, bowling these in-swingers, bowling these away-swingers, and trying to do that at high pace too. Um, Tomo was a good influence in that. But initially, it was all about just running and bowl as wildly quick as you possibly could. Just, uh, just moving from those junior, junior years, which is it's fascinating to see how you were developed and really given the freedom... Do you still, when you came into Test cricket and now, do you sort of still see Test cricket as the Everest of our game? I still love it, even though I'm not playing it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would, I would love to still be playing right now, um, but I do. I, I, I do still see it as the as the pinnacle. I, uh, you know, on all the highlights throughout our lockdown uh, right now, they they're showing highlights of. 1980s Ashes series, you mm. know, and that's been voted in by the viewers to what they want to watch. So that's not just me. That's people going out there and saying that that's what, what they want to watch, you know. Um, so if the masses are, are saying that and that's what we're calling for and that's what they're showing right now on TV, then you, you can tell that that's what, that's what the pinnacle is. Um, you know, T20 has come in and, and it's come in like a storm and it's been really good. Uh, it's been good for the test matches too because it's made guys like David Warner um, who's changed the game. You know, he's the only guy that's ever scored 100 before lunch, you know, on day one of a test match. I, I think it's something like that. He just scored so quickly, you know, maybe through that aggressive mindset. And made bowlers change the way that they had to do things. Um, so it's had a good influence on test cricket too. Uh, in test cricket over your uh, career, you've stood out really amongst uh, a lot of your contemporaries um, around uh, the world because of your adaptability and versatility in different conditions. You know, your success in the subcontinent is second to none. Obviously, at home, you dominate in Australia. All around the world, you've had a, a huge impact. Can you give us any sort of reason why, that, why that's the case? Um. I think, you know, two things. I, I, always, had a, I always had a great captain. Um, the bulk of the wickets that I took in my test career came under, under one captain, which is really good because then you've got, you build up a great relationship. Um, that captain uses you as a, as a particular weapon. Um, so very often I use the example where Paul Harris would be doing a lot of toil work. He'd bowl 15, 16 overs on the trot, really dried up. He potentially takes a wicket. And with his tail up now, ready to go, Graham Smith would just rip the ball out of his hand, put it in mine, and I would go, bang, bang. I'd get two new batters out. And, you know, it was that kind of relationship with one particular captain over many years and just knowing when and how to use me that, that made me have the kind of stats that I'm lucky to have had. Had it been another captain, I might not have had the same returns. Um, 
but also then again, just my, my stature as a fast bowler. You know, I'm pretty short. I'm pretty skiddy. Um, kind of always attacking the stumps. So a, a place like, like India and the subcontinent where a lot of bowlers don't enjoy going. I actually really enjoyed going there um, purely because I, I, I like those kind of conditions. Um, uh, I like to attack the stumps. I like to just get the ball to just do a little bit either way off the steam if I could or through the air. And um, and was always I was always in with a with a chance if the batter just had a lapse in con- concentration. So uh, those kind of conditions were something that I enjoyed bowling in, and, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe the mindset for um, for fast bowlers going into those conditions, or just before they go there, they might think, "Oh, this place is a torrid place for fast bowlers. It's not going to work for me. Mm. I'll I'll try and get away with something and let the spinners do all the hard work." But I was always the other way around. I was like, "I think this is where I'm gonna. This is where I'm really gonna make a." make a dent and make some inroads yeah that's interesting the, the other thing that that you have um to your to your advantage was an incredibly good wrist position um and the snap of a, a snap of that wrist is that something that evolved over time or is that something that you just you know are lucky enough to inherit and and just have as a young guy i've got to be honest with you i think I'm just, I'm very lucky that it just came naturally. It was just my, my action, my wrist, you know, all of these kinds of things. Um, my run up didn't require a lot of, a lot of tinkering with um, mechanically or anything, you know, fine tuning at, at, at the best. But um, I think just naturally blessed with a very uh, easy flowing run up um, and a very, naturally good wrist you know in in a, in a good position and i was lucky with that because i never struggled with that throughout my career where whereas i played with guys who would constantly work on it morning morkel was constantly aware that he would lose his wrist um and then he'd have to take it three steps back to figure out maybe it was his left arm or maybe it was his left leg that was knocking him out of position and morning was a really mechanical kind of bowler and is still a mechanical kind of bowler um, whereas for me, it was just like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm not getting my wrist in the right position and I'll just move it a little bit and it would be, it would just like slip back into position. So, um, yeah, I'm, unfortunately I was just blessed with that and something that I never really had to work hard at. <laughs> yeah. As you say, a lot of fast bowlers have sleepless nights over, over their, <laughs> over their wrist position, you know, pushing it down into the leg stump for the right hander and, and uh, just not having that sort of consistent rhythm through the crease. In your view, what, what are the important factors for a fast bowler to have? Is it, the, you know, to generate that genuine pace? Is it the run-up? Is it their, you know, their ability to get through the crease quickly? Is it something physical? What, what is it? You know, I think, Firstly, it just starts with the physical physical thing. Um, I've made this comparison before that you've got to be blessed with the talent of bowling fast off the bat. That's the first thing. You need to be born with it, you know. Um, and I've mentioned it before. If you look at guys like A.B. and myself, very, very similar physical uh, look. Um, you know, if you blurred out our faces, you wouldn't know which one is which. Um, he's probably a little fatter than me. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we're the same height we're, we've got the same kind of build and yet AB could never run in I don't think he could bowl 110 kilometers an hour at his at his quickest you know so 
first it's a it's a natural gift um which which you have and then once you've got that gift gift and you recognize that you can bowl in the high 130s into the 140s and if you're lucky enough 150s and if you're extremely gifted and rare up into the into the high 150s even touching 160s like Shaib and Brett Lee and Tate and those guys there wasn't many that could do that uh, Thompson um but once you get there then you can start to work on things like you know the the run up the smoothness of a run up the natural build up starting in first gear working your way into fourth into fifth um a good b- uh, build up uh, jump bound uh, strong left arm to keep your head in the right position and just try and then create that that sling force that it all goes in one direction once you're letting go of the ball you know all your energy is is being forced down the wicket towards your wicketkeeper um and not breaking away to say cover or even sometimes some guys break away to mid wicket you know and run onto the pitch it's all about how you transfer that energy but the very 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 start you need to start off with a natural gift of being able to to have the talent of being able to bowl fast you know um yeah. and sometimes guys start off as spinners and don't even realize it and then they start going oh I'll bowl a little bit of nets and when they look again they go you know geez I, I can actually let it go a little bit you know and mm-hmm. then you can start to guide them and stuff like that but um there are many ways that you can you can zone it down for 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 players yeah yeah um I suppose that the one thing that is intriguing with test cricket, uh, with pace bowling, is the importance to structure an over, structure a spell to to take wickets, because that's what you're basically employed to do. And the team are desperate, as you as the strike bowler, as the pace bowler, to take wickets. Did you have any particular philosophy that you stood by with, with regards to how you'd set your over up or a spell up? You know, the basic idea was always to try and bowl topper off stump, throw in a couple of bounces and maybe the odd Yorker every now and then. And, but topper off stump, that was, that was callous uh, throughout his whole career. He said it was difficult for any batter that he ever bowled to, whether it be Ricky Ponting to Sachin Tendulkar, you know, topper off stump. And just finding that length for, for, um, for batters because some guys are tall, some guys are short, uh, some wickets are bouncy, some wickets are, are uh, skiddy and low. You know, and just finding that length, if you're able to find that length quickly, you could become a threat straight away. Um, for me, I also try to feel the game and feel the situation of the game. Uh, there was probably sometimes I was uh, also a bowler that once I started to pick up wickets um, in my career, I, I liked taking wickets and I liked to develop an idea of how I was going to get those wickets. So there was times when I was bowling to particular players that I felt like, well, maybe today I should go at this guy at like 70%, get him off strike, and then give the other bloke 100% because my best chance of getting a wicket is, you know, the non-striker or whoever it was. Um, and just knowing how to use your energy as a fast bowler and say, well, this guy's got my number right now, so there's no point in, in bowling and wasting energy to this guy. I'll use it to this guy. Um, there might not even be a, a Yorker day, you know, it could be green and, and seeming all over the place, but there would be a batter that would walk in and you just felt like he was falling over or something. And you just knew, okay, this guy against all conditions, you've got to give him the Yorker, you know, um, or even on a slow, low deck, a guy could be dominating on the front foot and you just feel like today's the day I've got to put a short ball in and he would lunge, glove it straight up in the air. So it was just also feeling the conditions and feeling what the what the day was offering um how i wasn't to go about getting my wickets 
Mm. Well, you're, you're unique. Statistically, you're very unique, not only because you're right at the top of the, the, the fast bowling pile, um, but would you be surprised to know that every one in every five balls you bowled in test cricket was a bouncer? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, and the reason you're unique in that, and this is what Freddie was telling us in the little background uh, preamble that he gave me before we chatted. And he said that uh, Dale is very unique because he swings the ball as much as anyone in the world in Test cricket. So the the, the, the amount you swing the ball is as much as anyone. But your bouncer percentage is as high, not as high, not as high as Wagner from New Zealand, but it's as <laughs> high as anyone. So your ability to to change gears was quite unique. I, you know, we I didn't realise that I bowled that amount of bounces. I almost felt like I didn't bowl enough bounces. <laughs> but I know that I would go, I would do spells of bounces, um, especially if there was a period where I wasn't picking up a wicket. I'd go maybe two overs where I was trying to swing it and, you know, a batter would just be leaving me really well or just something would get under my skin and I would just, I would just scream to Graham at first slip. I would just say to him, I'm coming around the wicket and I'll just come around the wicket and just bowl, you know, three overs of, just bounces and just wait for the batter to either get irritated where he would play either a hook shot or get frustrated. And then I'd come back over the wicket and bowl him a half volley and his feet would be in the toilet and potentially nick him off. I was just trying to create something like I was mentioning before, just try and create something in the day. If I didn't feel like something was happening, the bouncer was a, was, a, was a, a go-to delivery. Um, I, I also had Paul Harris for the bulk of the time standing at middle of just reminding me, that when he came into bat, guys would always bounce him. So I had to get to get back at the batters and bowlers. So <laughs> I always had somebody in my in my ear telling me, "Listen, do me a favor, please." This like said this to me or hit me or whatever it was. So um, that's probably another reason why. <laughs> and and just just getting towards the end of our chat, one thing that it would intrigue me. Um, is your ability to shift from test cricket to ODI cricket and to T20 cricket. Uh, what are the challenges for a, a fast bowler, sort of shifting through those different formats of the game? I think the biggest challenge is just the mental challenge of um, understanding that, you know, you could go for 100 in, in, in ODI cricket and you could go at 15, 16, and 20 and over in T20 cricket. And that's quite a big step from test cricket when we're always looking to go like under three and over, you know, um, in test cricket. I think I went well over three and over. I went at three and a half or something like that. But um, having, having been attacking bowler and everything, you've always got those kind of aggressive fields. I was going to go more runs, but I was going to pick up wickets. So that was fine. Um, but I think the mental side of things is that you're always trying to keep it tidy in test cricket. And now when you jump to, to ODI cricket, white ball cricket, uh, just going for runs. No fast bowler likes to go for runs. We, we all hate it. You know, like I'd rather go sometimes in the middle of my career. I think I'd rather have bowled naught for 20 in an ODI game or like naught for 10 in a T20 game than get four for 60, you know. Yeah. 
Um, where sometimes that was the mentality that I just, I just felt like that was how I was going to win games for my, my teams. It was not by getting wickets, but by preventing the other team from scoring a lot of runs to make it easier for us to either chase or, or you know, or whatever it was. Um, and it was only really later on in my career where I, I felt like I didn't really mind anymore if I went for more runs in white ball cricket. Um, but if I was going to bowl one more ball in my career, I'd rather take a wicket with that ball than mm. bowl a dot ball, you yeah, know? Yeah, um, and I don't know why it took me so long to come up with, a, with that kind of mentality because I played for so bloody long. But, like, that's kind of the way that I'm looking at it now, especially yeah. in white ball cricket. I just felt like, I feel like I'd rather go for 60 now in a T20 game and pick up five wickets mm. than go for 20 and not pick up a wicket. Um, <laughs> Do, do you so, think that may have been the, the team and the environment and the philosophy around South African cricket in those early days that were, you know, naturally you sort of took that in? Yeah, uh, and I think the influences that you had in, in your teams at that time, you know, a big influence for me in white ball cricket was somebody like, like Sean Pollock, um, who, who had a very low white ball uh, economy rate, you know, and I think he he prided himself on something like that. So I felt like, okay, cool. When Polly resigns and I take over, I need to take over that role that he that he did and what he prided most. And although he took wickets, he was more known for being the the world's most econo economical bowler, you know, and having a great economy rate. So I felt like that's what I needed to do. Slipped in with a little bit of um, strike rate here and there and everything like that, but. I think for a long time, I just kind of tried to take over what South Africa required. And that was somebody to keep it tidy, keep a low economy rate and strike when possible. Um, whereas I think now I'm starting to play a game with slightly more aggressive captains. Um, Quinny de Kock, I played with Glenn Maxwell now at Melbourne Stars. Very aggressive mindset. Boys, come 10 yards off the, off the rope. I don't care. But if it's in the air, I want you to catch it, you know. Um, in the ring, guys are, are, are tight, you know, and they don't care whether the ball goes through, you know, really, really attacking kinds of cricket. And it makes me as a bowler feel, yes, this is what I want to do, you know. Mm. Um, so a shift in the mentality of, of captaincy too. Yeah, brilliant. Just the last question, mate, and I really do appreciate uh, your time. What advice would you give a young Dale Stein? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, it depends on what age we're talking about yeah. because that young Dale Stane had some terrible hairstyles um, through his years but uh, um, I, I think you know the most important thing um, and it, maybe it's just like this nostalgic thing coming through right now but like to always kind of enjoy um, what you do and it, it sounds very cliched um, and I'm lucky that I had a great career where I, I really did enjoy everything. I, you know, I've, I've been in World Cups, World Cup semifinals where I've got beaten out of the park. Um, and yet I still enjoy it. You know, I, I, still, I still think to that game and I'm like, I, I love that game. It's great, you know. And so I would stick with it. I'd, I'd give him the advice that, you know, just try and enjoy it. And, and that's the reason why you play it, you know. Because when you're sitting here in lockdown and you can't play that's what you miss most is actually you don't really care whether you go for a hundred or you score a duck. You just want to be out there playing, you know, mm. and enjoying what you do. So I think that would be the advice that I'd give a young man is just to say, boy, you're going to have up and ups and downs, but you know, if you can have a steady level, um, ness of, of enjoyment, you, you're going to do well. Yeah.
Brilliant. Spot on. Uh, well, thanks again for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Uh, stay safe. Uh, I we'll hope you catching a few waves and, and catching a few fish. Oh, so I notice you're no, none of that the, at the moment. Various That's... social media outlets, but uh, yeah, stay safe especially. Yeah, thanks, Moods. <laughs>
whether it's swinging and it's 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 swinging consistently or whether it's got some bounce or whether it's uh, for a spinner's point of view, whether it's turning and turning regularly. But uh, Dale Stain to me, you know, he, he, he turned up at every venue around the world and was a major, major threat. One thing I'd like to say, guys, is that one of the really interesting things he said in that interview was in his in his early stages as he was developing as a young fast bowler, he was encouraged by his coaches and, and the captains that looked after him during those years, those formative years, to continue just to bowl fast. Don't worry about the fact that you're sending two or three down the leg side for wides or wide of off stump for wides. They weren't focusing on that. They were focusing on pace. And to me, that was such a you know, such a critical, I think, stepping stone in his development because, as he also touched on, he just did everything quickly. You know, as a kid, he used to run around the house as fast as he possibly could and he'd time himself. So what it did was it, it just gave him confirmation that he was doing the right thing. So he enabled him to grow and grow very quickly as, you know, one of the game's greatest fast bowlers. Yeah, I mean, there were so many things, and obviously we don't want to eat into too much time. And and from my perspective, I was just blown away, Tom, at the excellent work of the interview and the number of things it brought out. So just the way that he operated, building partly on what Freddie said about his success in Asia, Stain talked about the fact that because he was short-ish in stature, he was a skinny bowler with a great wrist position. And that, I know from my own bowling of generally holding a strong wrist, allowed him to swing the ball out. Then he was able to bowl reverse swing, which guys like Wakar Yunus and Wazim Akram uh, displayed so well on subcontinental surfaces and other places. But he differed, uh, guys, and for our listeners, from so many West Indian bowlers, Ambrose, Walsh. You've got Glenn McGrath there in Australia. Because we were tall guys, we tended to to look to get batsmen out a lot by bounce above the waist, looking to take the outside edge. And sometimes, as you know, Tom, the glove bringing short leg into play and fine leg with the hook shots and all of that. So it was a different mode of operation, but maybe closest to him from a West Indian perspective and that great bowler list, Malcolm Marshall, uh, five foot 10 inches tall, maybe somewhere around Stain's height, who could also maybe not reverse swing the ball as much, but target the pads, target the stumps, but be very nasty with targeting above waist high during his career. And one of the things that made Malcolm and Kirtley great, in my opinion, and particularly Malcolm, when I was standing at mid-on, mid-off, early in my career on tours to England and Australia, he would be able, Malcolm, to tell me exactly what he was going to do and why he was going to bowl certain angles and deliveries and shift me around at mid-off and mid-on. And almost exclusively, the ball would go where he expected it to go based on delivery. So a great cricket brain. But I just think the combination of that pace, um, the skittiness from Dale Steen, and one of the things he said, he had a great feel for what a batsman's weakness was without being able to explain it. So... Look, one of the greats of the modern era, I had a lot of time for him, and it was just a pleasure watching him play Test match cricket. Just, just to jump in quickly with a, with a stat there, you, you, you've mentioned Marshall. 
um, as someone who who Stain reminds you of. Um, uh, Malcolm Marshall in Asia took 71 wickets, an average of 23. Stain in Asia took 92 wickets, an average of 24. So they had very similar records in Asia. And I think that sort of backs up your point about um, being able to target the stumps. And, and also just one thing as well that Stain mentioned um, was mindset. So we talked there about his phys- physicality made him well suited to, to bowling in Asia. He wasn't, um, he wasn't sort of scared by the challenge of going to Asia. In fact, he said that, you know, he saw it as an opportunity. Um, and maybe that was partly because of his physicality. But I think that that was really interesting as well. Just basically going to somewhere like India or, you know, or Asia more generally and just basically thinking, yeah, I, I'm going to own this. this. This can be my area. I can dominate here as well. Um, and it's testament to his skill that he did. And, 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 and bowling at the stumps, as you said, that mindset. I remember Kirtley Ambrose very early in his career uh, when we played together. He overpitched in a couple of versions of the game and he got driven down the ground a couple of times. And we always thought that following on someone like a Joel Garner, that Yorker was going to be so critical for someone of his side, six foot seven, maybe uh, a little bit taller than that. And Kirkley just said, look, I hate being driven. Yes, the Yorker can bring me wickets, but it can also go for runs. And from that very day, I think it was on a tour of Australia. And Kirkley will correct me if he finds out about this in 1988. He just decided mostly he was, Tom, going to pull his length back. He could target the stumps, but it was his preference to pull his length back and wait and wait and wait and exploit the bounce, that three-quarter length that he did so well. Well, I can I can certainly vouch for that because I remember playing the West Indies at the Wacker uh, in a lead-up game before the first test in Brisbane. And there was a very young Ian Bishop and Kirtley Ambrose and Patrick Patterson. Malcolm mm. Marshall was the attack. And being a right-hand batsman, you might as well soar off your left leg because you're <laughs> never going to step that leg down the wicket. You've primarily occupied with your back leg going off the back foot, climbing the staircase, trying to... Uh, get rid of the ball around your throat and chin and what have you. But, uh, yeah, look, that was that, was that as you quite rightly said, that was that style of bowling, wasn't it, yeah. Bish, where yeah. you felt like you were never going to get bowled or OB. It was more a case of feeding into that cordon of slips that were three, four, five at times uh, populated with a short leg and a leg gully. And it was a case of, well, I'm gloving this, I'm edging this, or... I'm cutting it if there's a bit of width or I might flick one off my hip. But, yeah, it was tough times. But he, it, it shows as well, and Freddie sort of sent us a number of stats as well, but it talks about the pace, the consistent pace at which Stain Bowl. It's okay targeting the stumps and having that repertoire of movement, which would serve people well, Vernon Philander, uh, excellent, particularly in, in Western conditions. But the consistent pace, I think of the modern guys, Freddie, uh, they'll seen what, two, four, six, or seventh on the list of consistently high pace to combine with that movement through the air and off the pitch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you, we've got a list here of bowlers um, in our database since 2006, and there's, there's only eight bowlers who have bowled with a higher average speed, um, you guys like Stark and Lee and Mitchell Johnson. So, so as I said, Stain is, is a very fast bowler. We've only got three bowlers in our database who swing the ball more than him, Anderson, Holder and Bolt. 
And then um, we've only got six bowlers who bowl more bouncers than Stain. So he's combining so many different facets. Um, uh, you know, he, he's, he's so many different bowlers in one. And I think that that's the key um, when, when trying to sort of, you know, when we can bear bowlers and try and look at what made them great, um, often they're bowlers who have done, you know, they, they've become great through master, mastering one or two skills. And I think Stain mastered many. And just to become that complete bowler, in my mind, it would be helpful. It's not exclusive, but it would be helpful in the modern game if you can perform in the West and in the East, in Asia, on the varying pitches that they have there. And, and Tom, um, I've often felt throughout my post-playing career that spin has played during my playing time, during our playing time, weighted so heavily for Asian teams, for example, India, maybe Sri Lanka, uh, maybe less so Pakistan during our time with Wazim and Waka and reverse swing. But if your team has to become the number one team in the world, the top team in the world, fast bowling was always going to be at the forefront because when you move away from the subcontinent, I think fast bowling plays a more significant part generally maybe through volume of overs. And that's why we see India now doing so well across the world and in the rankings, not only because of their spin, but because of their fast bowling, use of a new ball, reverse swing, and general pace and movement. Yeah, look, it's a good point you make about India. And they've made a conscious decision over recent years to, to steer away from... Uh, first-class pitches that are spin-friendly and are more pace-bowling friendly. So they have recognised if they're going to dominate world cricket, which they're on course to do so, yet they've still got a few, in my view, they've still got a few uh, hurdles to, to, to jump to be the dominant force that we saw the West Indies were in the uh, in the 70s and the 80s. And as we saw the Australians of, of recent times where they had that incredible run when it was led um, uh, with Ricky Ponting and Mark Taylor and, and Hayden and Gilchrist, that, that crew, Warren, McGrath and so forth. Uh, so they have recognised that you're quite right, that pace needs to have an influence because, you know, pace in test cricket intimidates everyone mm. in the batting order from 1 to 11, where spin can get you out, but you can sit on spin without feeling intimidated. So we see quite often in test cricket those periods of play where the game sort of comes to a grinding halt, but it very quickly accelerates when you get someone back on to bowl that bowls 90 miles an hour because suddenly that number eight or that number nine batsman suddenly loses a little bit of interest about <laughs> occupying the crease because it's not so much fun anymore because they're having to fend the ball off their chest and their chin where in a, in, in a, in a, the, at the other end where there may be an off spinner or a leg break bowler bowling, they're comfortable. Yes, they, you know, they can get out certainly with a good ball that turns away or spins in, but they're not threatened physically. Yeah, someone like, a, and we're not sort of dissuading anyone from believing that your technique, as Tom alluded to, is not tested. It is tested. Uh, that's clear from someone like a Vernon Philander or 
a late career Sean Pollock who didn't have the intimidation factor, Freddie, of physical hurt, but was still able, like Philander and Sean, to finish with top-class bowling averages across uh, pretty lengthy careers, more so in, in Sean's case. Um, but we've got some fantastic bowlers around the world, and this is why I'm so excited for Test Cricket whenever it returns after this lockdown, because I'm looking globally as what Stain's legacy has left behind. Uh, Nokia, uh, Rabada, uh, we can talk about Neil Wagner doing what he's doing now with the short balls. Oh gosh, I wish the West Indian fast bowlers of the 80s could be playing now with all this freedom that Wagner has to bowl in uh, four short balls and over. <laughs> West Indies would have relished in that. Um, uh, we were punished severely during the 80s for bowling too many short balls. Now it's uh, the in thing. Um, I looked to Pakistan and Shaheen Afridi, exam, uh, etc. Uh, we've got a young man called Jaden Seals here in the Caribbean. So with Jofra Archer, Mark Wood slightly older, there's so much to salivate about for me for Test Match Cricket. Freddie, the numbers for Test Match Cricket just coming off of stain a little bit in the last few years compared to previous decades are what? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you say moving away from Stain, actually, but we'll, we'll link it all in together. And actually what yeah. we're seeing, as you said, right now, um, we are in, a, I think, a golden era for fast bowling. And I think um, listening to Bish wax lyrical about these guys, we might have to do a special podcast just on that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but he's very right. You're very right. You know, we are in an era now, we see a number of really good fast bowlers. Um, and when you just look at the, the fast bowling average by decade, in the 1990s, it was down around 29 and then for the 2000s and then between 2010 and 2014, it moved up quite significantly to around 33, which is quite a, a jump of about four runs a wicket. And now since then, uh, since around 2015, we've seen the average for quick bowlers fall now once again down to below, in fact, what it was in the 90s. It's now at 29.2. So what, what I find amazing about Stain, and we talk about the guys that he is just, you know, maybe the generation of bowlers that he's inspired who are now dominating... They're dominating. The guys who are dominating now are dominating in an era when a lot of bowlers are doing well. I think for various reasons, which I think we will have to discuss in another podcast, their pitches are, are very conducive now to pace bowling. Um, and I think that's, that's given um, the whole art a big fillet. But Stain um, succeeded. Stain's career basically was in that era that I was just talking about, the 2000s and the 2010s to 15s, when, when batting dominated. We saw a number of really great batsmen obviously play in that era you know well Tundalka, Ponting, Callis, Lara came towards the end of their careers and guys like Cook over here in England succeeded, Peterson. Um, this was an era of batting dominance obviously India's great players of Dravid, Laxman. The, 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 the early 21st century was an era in which batting dominated but Stain sort of came around 2004-05 and then made a name for himself in that decade period and I don't think anyone in that period really could, could, could get close to him. McGrath was at the tail end of his career Pollock and Teeny, they were finishing. Um, there's no bowl. I mean, Anderson had, 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 has had a long and fantastic career, but I just don't think he's comparable to Stain. And I think the thing that stands out for me with Stain is that ability to succeed in an era when actually not many fast bowlers have succeeded. Um, that really is remarkable. It is, that, and that's why I call him a, a great of the game. And obviously, we're running out of time, so we don't want to stretch this too much longer. We can touch on so many things, just Dale Steen and fast bowling. Uh, but I just want to just stress Tom in that interview, just to close things off. He made some fantastic points amongst which he talked about what 
he would recommend as some of the more important aspects of fast bowling. He says, look, you, you have to be born with certain aspects of pace, but the acceleration of the run-up, which is a big thing for me, I think very few fast bowlers, and we're talking fast, did not almost race to the, the crease in a balanced motion. Um, and just his mindset I identified with. Sometimes I couldn't explain how I would get Tom Moody out. I couldn't break it down. But it was just a feel of the eye test, running into bowl to a batsman and working out in your mind where that weakness is and not necessarily being able to articulate is more of a feel. So that mental strength of his, his ability to discern and decipher weaknesses also great. Yeah, look, the, the, the thing that I talk about with fast bowlers and Dale Stain is this to a T, is at the top of your bowling mark, you're an athlete. Yeah. When you hit the crease, you become a fast bowler. So Dale Stain is that absolutely in one because he's such an agile athlete. He's got a beautiful running style. He gets to the crease with great momentum. He's got, he's blessed with a great action, which gives him great power and momentum towards the target, which target. is the batsman and the off stump and the keeper. And all that, ra you know, raveled up into one package You've got someone that's, uh, you know, going to dominate for a long period of time, touching wood if he remains healthy. And that's one of the other challenges fast bowlers face is the, the stress on their body. And Dale Stain, and I think that's part of greatness as well, has managed to deal with the workload and the stress over a long period of time. And it's only been towards the end of his career where he had shoulder problems. But this is after hours and hours and days and days and years and years of fast bowling has so, you know, just suddenly decided to say, hang on a sec here, you know, just back off a bit, mate. <laughs> Gentlemen, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you very much, Freddie. Stay safe. And once again, you can find our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and uh, Pocket Cast some of which are very new to me, and that's all down to Freddie, who's a millennial baby. Um, thank you very much for tuning in, and of course, we've got so much more to bring to you to keep you in tune over the coming weeks.